This is Pastor Matthew Castro at Central Church. I'm the adult ministries pastor, and you are listening to Attributes of God with Dr. Jim Ullman. Uh, the, the old way of explain, explaining grace is unmerited favor, and that's okay as far as it goes. Um, but if you think about the phrase unmerited favor, uh, what does that absolutely mean? The, the, the most, how shall I say this? One way that you could explain what that means is we haven't done anything really bad. We just haven't done anything good enough to get God's favor. Are you with me here? It's unmerited. And so it's not saying enough. <clears throat> Another one of the uh, quick ways that we define grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, the acronym G-R-A-C-E. That's, that's true. There's no question about it. It is, it is without question that our standing with God is unmerited. I have done nothing to merit what, I have, what, what position I have with him. It is without question that grace is God's riches at, God's, at Christ's expense. But I need to know more. I need to say more, because it is not merely. Um, thank you. I didn't uh, prepare the a chart for this, for this study. It's not merely that I'm at moral zero, and God brings me to moral infinity. It is that I am at moral negative infinity. <clears throat> a single sin. Merits. If if I die and go to hell, how long will I be there? Forever. What's that mean? I mean I, 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 that's not a clear enough question to answer. Um, it, it means you'll be paying for your sin forever. Forever. That means that the penalty I deserve is an infinite penalty. Does this make sense to you? I don't have the resources to pay an infinite penalty. I'm not infinite. I'm finite. So no matter how long I'm there, I never. it's kind of like a credit card. No matter how much I pay, I've never paid it off. Yes? You pay the minimum amount on a, on a credit card. How long does it take to, to pay off a credit card if you just pay the minimum amount? 30 years, approximately 30 years. Well, okay. We got, we're all right. Uh, but... but the, the issue for us is to understand that this person who died on the cross for us was himself an infinite person, which entails the idea that God can pour out his infinite... And I'm about to say things, if you ask me questions about, I will not be able to answer. I don't know that anybody will. Uh, but God poured out his infinite wrath against our sin. See, since mine is infinite and yours is infinite, then... You can't double infinity, right? <laughs> so, so God poured out his infinite wrath against his infinite son. And his infinite son bore the infinite wrath of God. And there is no wrath for us more to bear. Are you with me here? Um, when, our, our, when our sins are forgiven, if you, if you think of a, of a chart that has at the top moral 
um, I'm sorry, infinite righteousness, okay? So at, at the top line is infinite righteousness. The middle is moral zero, all right? And at the bottom, there's another line that's, that's um, uh, negative infinitive righteousness. Yeah, infinitive, infinite righteousness. I got my grammar mixed up here. Uh, I'm at moral infinite zero, infinite negativity. Does this make sense to you? When God forgives our sins, he only brings us up to the, up to the level of uh, zero righteousness. I'm, I'm not demeritorious. I'm not meritorious either. So he only brings us to the point where our sins are forgiven. They, they are not wiped out. The sins are still there. They're still part of the historical record. And folks, I'll try to explain that more later. But uh, our sins are still part of the moral of the, um, of the, of the eternal record of the history of God's works in the world. All right, so they're not blotted out, but the penalty is paid, and uh, so with forgiveness, he brings me up to the point of zero. But, but I, but I have to, I have to have more than that, because if I have nothing that God can approve, then I have no place with God. So what he does is he justifies us. And once again, this is one of those terms that we use, that we have the nice, neat phrases for. He makes it just as if I'd never sinned. No, it's more than that. It's far more than that. In fact, that's exactly the opposite of what it is. God declares us righteous. <clears throat> he declares sinful people righteous. One of our problems in thinking about Justification and righteousness is that for us a, a synonym of righteousness is obedience. Is God righteous? Uh, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get much answer from that. I just got from the. Is God righteousness? Is God righteous? Yes. So is he obedient? Yes. No. God has never obeyed. That's right. Obedience entails uh, someone who has higher status imposing a standard on one of lower status to which the lower status person must uh, 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 yeah, I can't uh, adhere, to which he must adhere. Yes? I'm still going to go back to Jesus being obedient to the Father. Yeah, but he's a, he's a true human as well as being fully God. He's, he's also fully human. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And he did all the righteousness that God could require. Um, Jesus never sinned. Yes? Right? But that's not the essence of what righteousness is. Um, if you... Think about, and, and once again, we're here talking about uh, terms that we use constantly. Justification is one. Um, uh, 
God justifies sinners. Yes? Thank the Lord. You thank God for that. So what does it mean that he, what, what, explain that to me. What does it mean for God to justify a sinner? I've gotten from things you've said about yeah. sinning has to do with morality, mm -hmm. not so much righteousness. Righteousness is pure faith. Yeah, yeah, and I want to I want to be a little more uh, uh, specific on that. Okay. Uh, let me let me get there. But you're on the right track, so you 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 you're getting it. That's that's encouraging uh, to me. The um, for us, righteousness is essentially synonymous with obedience. Yes? Jesus was obedient. He was righteous. Was he righteous before he obeyed? Oh, well then, righteousness cannot be obedience. If he's, if he's righteous before he obeyed, then he can't be, it cannot be that he's righteous because he's obedient. He's rather obedient because he's righteous then there's a fundamental issue here. If God declares sinners obedient, if by, that, if, if by righteousness I mean that he's declared us obedient, then he's spoken a falsehood because sinners cannot be obedient. Right. That's why they're sinners, is they're not obedient. That's right. They're, that's why they're sinners, that's why they're, because they're not obedient. So, well, still, I can't, you can't, even a forgiven person cannot be declared to be obedient. You see, he still violated whatever th thing w w w brought the necessity of forgiveness. Is there a difference between obedience and being adopted? Uh, yes, and we're heading in that direction, though I hadn't thought about including adoption, so... Thanks for bringing that up and making things more difficult for me. Would we not only become truly righteous at the very end when we really no, see what no, we want to see? No. The question is, would we not only become truly righteous at the very end when we see Jesus? And the answer is no. No. Um, yeah. My righteousness, regardless of the period of time, mm -hmm. is totally dependent on Jesus. Yeah. Righteous. It, it's imputed to me. It is Jesus's righteousness. But does that mean that I have all of His obedience? No. no. So what does it mean when God declares us righteous? And this this was a struggle I had for years. Folks, I, I can't even tell. I don't know how many years I struggled with this, trying to figure out what this thing is that is justification. It just, it just puzzled me. Uh, till one day, I had a sudden flash of the obvious. <laughs> um, and that is, my definition of righteousness was wrong. Almost, almost always, when you're having some kind of theological problem, one or another of the terms that you're struggling with, you have, you have a bad definition for, okay? So you need to find a better definition. And I had already run into this idea, but I hadn't attributed it. 
If I'm drooling, please tell me. But I, I hadn't attributed it to, did I get that all? Uh, it to justification. And that is, folks, what God declares when he declares us righteous is that we are in right relationship with God. What is the nature of that right relationship? What does it look like? Well, that's that's true about, but that's not true about my life. What, what does my life look like? It's a life of faith. Um, there are places in the prophets where the prophets chide the people for their keeping the commandments because <laughs> they have no heart for God. What is the great commandment? Keep all the rules? That's the great commandment. That was the great commandment that I grew up with at church. Keep all the rules. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God. That's what faith is. Loving God, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You can obey all day long the commandments of God, but with no love, you're still in the wrong relationship with God. And that's the essence of sin. This is why... Uh, one of the very first studies that I did with, uh, with you after, after we did Romans <laughs> uh, um, was uh, getting into Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 3, I stopped and took, took apart the experience of Eve in the garden. She saw that the tree was, was delightful to the eyes. You remember this? But in chapter 2... Every tree in the garden was delightful to the eyes. She saw that it was, uh, uh, it was good for food. Yes? Everything else was too. Every other tree was good for food. That's what chapter 2 said. The third thing she saw, though, was a, th that it was desirable to make one wise. She has, where'd she get that notion? Well, yeah. With, within the terms of the text, where did she get the notion? It's the serpent. Yeah. Yeah? God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. Well, the one thing we were created to do was to become like God. That's, that's something to be desired, yes? So? Question God. He said, well, surely he wouldn't kill you. He said, he, he said you'd die if you ate Well, he didn't say surely he wouldn't kill you. He surely will not kill you is well, what he said. Yeah. Which is, he, say, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, he, he's denied the word of God and offered an alternative way to becoming like God, which is attractive to her, and she takes the, food and, uh, the uh, fruit and eats it. Yes? Are you with me here? The, the essence of sin is not disobedience. Disobedience is the result of sin. It's not the essence of sin. The essence of sin is that we do not trust God. That's why faith is so important in the New Testament. I have to, I have to embrace the notion of what faith is. Um, so, 
That's why I started with Genesis in that study. Well, I was going to go through Deuteronomy anyway, so good place to start is Genesis, right? But one of the reasons I wanted to, to do that is I wanted you to see that the books of Moses are books about calling Israel to live by faith. And I, and, and I said in, on many occasions in that study, if you were here, uh, not that you would remember it. I, don't rem I didn't remember that today was Wednesday. So how could I expect you to remember what I said two years ago? But um, there are only two ways to get the blessing of God. The Bible offers two ways, faith and obedience. We are by nature people who do not trust God. But we, there are an awful lot of lost people who are very obedient people. Of course, not to God, yes? They're, they're not thinking that we're obeying God necessarily. But there, there are really lots of really nice, kind, generous people, good friends, good neighbors, yes? Uh, good elders in churches, good professors in Bible colleges and seminaries, and yeah, am I am I right? Yes. Uh, just as just as they're the salt of the earth kind of people, but they have no heart for God. Yes, sir. That's a silly question. It, it's probably not silly unless I can't answer it. <laughs> uh, in Revelation. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, I mean, it's all the Read that again. Say that again. From the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, in Revelation, oh. it says we understand we'll be blessed. So is yeah. it faith or obedience? Is that both? Well, understand and do the things that are written in this book. So there is obedience. Obedience has its place, but it has to be in its right place. It's an effect, not a cause. You've, does that make sense to you? Um uh, what are some of the symptoms of COVID-19? Coughing. Coughing. Stopped up lungs. Stopped up lungs. Okay. You know, that's yeah. the bad one. Fever. Death. Hmm? Death. Death. Well, that's not a symptom. That's a result. <laughs> uh, running nose. Loss of taste. Um, I, I have... Allergies. I have a particularly advanced case of allergies. <laughs> they tested me in Dallas for 50, uh, what was it, 56 allergens, and I tested positive for 52 of them. <laughs> I passed the test, didn't even study for it. It was great. Uh, when we moved to, da to Memphis, I thought, I better get checked up for Memphis allergens because they're going to be different from Dallas, and they are. They tested me for 77. I tested positives for 74 of them. Yay! Made them. Boy, my, my grades are going up. This is great. <laughs> the, the point I'm making is I have some of the symptoms of COVID just because of allergies. Yes? So the sneeze is not the cause of COVID. The sneeze is the result of COVID. It's also the result of other things. Yes? Mm -hmm. Right? So 
this is where we have to keep obedience. It must be, yes, obedience is important. I'm not, I'm not downplaying the concept of obedience. What I'm saying is it must be placed in its proper relationship to everything else, else that God is doing. So no obedience that I do. do. Do you not think that the Pharisees were keeping the law of Moses in, in Jesus' day? They were trying. They were doing their dead level best to keep the law of Moses. And for all the best motives, they wanted to honor God. Yes? Um, but Jesus called them uh, offspring of vipers. Well, it didn't, uh, and they should never offer a quote that you can't, you don't know where it exactly is, but the dad speaks to two sons and says, I want you to go work in the vineyard. And the yeah. kid says, I'm going. Yeah. And the other kid says, I ain't going. There ain't no way. Yeah. All right. End of the day, the one that said he was going did, didn't go, and the one that said he wasn't going went. Yeah. So which one yeah, of the two one? did the father's will? That's right. Well, the one that, that went to work in the, right. in the field. Even uh, he said no. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the issue for us is to keep obedience in its proper place. What we're talking about in grace is, brothers and sisters, no amount of obedience will ever get you more grace. You can't get more grace. You have the grace of God. And we're going to look at the implications of that as we go through. Some of these we went through last week, and we'll finish this up next week, Lord willing, We'll, we'll turn to um, uh, two or three of the names of God and talk about them. What do they mean? We'll, we'll do that the, the next two Wednesday nights. Yes, sir. Are you saying that, that to be obedient, that, that direct motive should be obedience emanates from faith? Uh-huh. That that's right. It's faith always that should yes. That's right. And the remarkable thing is people of faith, people of real faith um, do things that later folks think are, are heroic. They don't look at it that way. They're just trusting God. Um, the Greek word occurred, and, and we said this last week, so a lot of this is immediately is going to be reviewed. The Greek word occurs 155 times in the New Testament. 165 times in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. That's 5.74 times per book. Uh, the, uh, the Hebrew word most often translated grace appears 70 times in the Old Testament. Uh, not very often. Uh, quite, quite a lot less frequently. Uh, the, the word of grace is, I don't know why this is on this heading, but it, grace is missing in Matthew, Mark, 1 John and 3 John. That was a little surprising to me that John didn't use the word grace. Um, the word is missing from Leviticus, Joshua, 2 Kings, Isaiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Hosea, to, Malachi, to Micah, Habakkuk, to Haggai, and Malachi. It's occur, it occurs once in Deuteronomy. Well, what else would you expect? Amen. It's Deuteronomy, which is about the law. Amen? No, it's not about the law. I was talking to some folks today. I had a 
class on the Lord's Supper uh, this afternoon, this uh, morning. And I said, one of the ways to know what a book is about is to look at the introduction and look at the conclusion and assume that the middle is aiming to get you from the introduction to the conclusion. Um, I I want you to know I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary and I know great and wise things most people don't know. The beginning of Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy 1. (laughs) And especially uh, chapters 1 to 11 is the introduction to Deuteronomy. And in those early chapters, especially 1 and 2, God, uh, God, through Moses, calls Israel to account, to, to remember their failures in the wilderness. Why does he do that? And then he talks about peoples that are not even related to Israel, to whom God has given land. And it was land that was inhabited by uh, great people who built fortified cities. And if God will do that for people he has no covenant with, what are the chances he'll do it for Israel? Are you with me? So what's the point? Well, Deuteronomy 6 has the great commandment, and chapters 6 through 11 are the explanation of what the great commandment means. And it turns out that Paul thinks Moses is talking about faith. Okay? Once you get past Deuteronomy 28, chapters 29 to 34 are the, with my doctorate I know this, 29 to 34 are the end of the book. Uh, And in 29 to 34, he calls them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So why is all the law there in the middle? Because there are people who have no heart for God. If you, if you would, turn to Deuteronomy 29. We've done this before in other studies, but I want you to see it here. Um, Deuteronomy 29 and verse uh, 2. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, to his entire land. You saw with your own eyes the great trials and those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you... uh, My text has a mind to understand. Yours probably has heart, a heart to understand, eyes to see, or ears to hear. I pointed out to you, to those of you who were in the study that night, what I will point out to you again. Isaiah is sent to his people in Isaiah chapter 6. You know the call passage of Isaiah in 6. Yes, no? Yeah. And God says, go and say to this people, Look at the terms again. What are the terms there at the end of verse 4? Heart to know, know, eyes to see, ears to hear. hear. Go and tell this people 
Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Make the heart of this people calloused, lest they should understand with their heart, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and I should turn and heal them. And Isaiah said, How long, O Lord? And the Lord said, Until the, until the cities are desolate and without inhabitant, and there is not a man left in the land. In John chapter 12, uh, toward the end of the chapter, well, let's turn there too. In John chapter 12, so, so if I'm right that loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength is what Deuteronomy is about, then Deuteronomy 29 knows Who's speaking in Deuteronomy 29? You've already turned away, perhaps. Moses. Moses knows that they don't have a wholehearted love for God. Yes? In, in John chapter 12 now. Um, um, verse 37. This, this is the end of what's called the Book of Signs in the Book of John. Uh, you begin, uh, yeah, the Book of Signs. So you begin with the, the uh, uh, changing water to wine, and you, you end here with the Book of Signs. And so verses 37 and following are somewhat the conclusion to this major section of the Book of John. Though he had done so many signs before them, um, you have, they did not believe in him. This is an unusual tense in Greek. Uh, it doesn't show up very often. This is called the imperfect tense. And the imperfect tense um, thinks of a past of, as a past event like a movie unfolding before your eyes, if you will. It can also be used in a, in, in a variety of other ways. I'm inclined to think here it should read, uh, uh, though he had done so many signs before them, they didn't want to believe in him. And that's a legitimate translation of this tense. So that the word of Isaiah the prophet was fulfilled. Notice this, was fulfilled. Yes? Now what Isaiah began has been completed. So we'll watch this as it goes. Uh, uh, when he said, Lord, who has believed our, our, our message, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not. What does that mean? Well, what, what does it mean that they could not? They weren't able to believe. Um, because again, Isaiah said, now notice here, what was a command in Isaiah has become a statement of fact in John. He has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their heart so that they should not see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I should heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke about him. The good news is, verse 42, nevertheless, even among the rulers... Many believed in him, but, but because of the Pharisees, they didn't want to, and here's that same tense again, they didn't want to confess him publicly 
so that they wouldn't be put out of the synagogue. Nicodemus? Nicodemus is one of them. Um, my, my point, folks, is that, um, that the whole Bible, and, and certainly all the books of Moses, are books about faith. They're not books about law. They only have law because Israel rejected faith. Uh, when, it is to be their God altogether, and they wanted a king. Yeah. That's where it all started. That's right. Well, that, no, it started a lot earlier than that. Yeah. It started in the days of Moses. Okay. Well, yeah. So, you really look back. Uh, so, so it's <laughs> the, the whole Old Testament is facing the fact that God chose a people to be his people who were unbelieving and had no real heart for himself. And he knew that. And he knew that. Wow. that that's, that's an odd thing, is it not? Yeah. Uh, it's my opinion, and I won't go into the detail how I come to this conclusion, that God created this world as the best of all possible worlds for revealing what grace, what his grace is. <laughs> it would take this kind of world to clarify what grace is. The, um, the angels praise God constantly for his, his character, apparently. I, I, I'm saying things that I don't really know at this point, but in, in some sense, the angels are engaged in praising God's character all the time. Um, but they've never experienced grace. Yes? So they're apparently praising God for things they don't understand. Am I making sense to you? If God would have shown grace towards Satan. Then, the, now here, here's where... Sorry, I got a point. No, no, that's all right. No, that's, that's an important concept. Um, let me see what we've got here. I, I, if I don't address that, please, please call it back to my mind if I don't address it directly. No, 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 next, no, I want to finish tonight. So, uh, grace is the favor of God shown for the sake of Jesus to those who have forfeited all claim. It's not that I just don't have anything that God can reward. It's that I merit his infinite everlasting wrath. And he has freed me from that, establishing me with the righteousness of Christ. Uh, grace must never be compromised, Galatians 1, 6 to 8. Um, Mr. Nitrogen and Mr. Glycerin don't like each other, and you put them in the same room and jog joggle them up. They'll just have a big explosion, amen? Because they'll, they'll get in all kinds of anger. <laughs> yes? Uh, grace and law can't coexist either, Paul says in Galatians 1. Uh, verse, uh, I think it's verse 6. It's, it, that's not it either. Um, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of God and are following a different gospel, which is not a different, what is not a gospel, he says. Not that there really is another gospel, but there are some who are disturbing you wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. You bring in law, you distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be condemned to hell. Say again. Boy, Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside God's grace because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. No obedience that you can do increases your righteousness. It cannot be increased. You have the same relationship with God the Father that God the Son has with the Father. That's stunning. That's what Jesus purchased for you, and you cannot improve on it. You can adorn it, but you can't improve it. Uh, Jesus' word is full of grace and truth that multiplies to us. John 1, 14 and 16. Grace in Christ is contrasted with the law given through Moses. <clears throat> John 1, 17. Uh, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Acts 7, 45 and 46. David... I stop, yeah. I wrote down, you said that I have the same relationship with God that Jesus has. Mm -hmm. But Jesus is God. Yeah, you're not God. No, I'm, I'm missing... Something. Jesus still remains a, a true human as well. There's a man seated at the right hand of God. One that you can see. Well, we'll see the glory of God, but it'll be so brilliant. Have, have you read Ezekiel 1 any time recently? Ezekiel's not on our reading list typically. Read Ezekiel 1 and look at a human trying to express the glory of God. Um, you, just, you just can't do it. That was like my dream I had. <laughs> it took my breath away. Well, it was so awesome. Yeah. Um, Acts 7, 45 and 46, David found favor with God. And that word favor is in red because that's the word Greece, uh, grace. Grace in Greek, Greek. It's, it's the word, ah, it's the word grace in Greek. Uh, David found favor with God who gave him guidance in selecting a site for the temple. Do you remember the incident? Why is he looking for a site? Why is he out wandering around Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 24? He wants to build out God. No. He's, he sinned by having a census of Israel, and God sent a plague, and he's, look, he's out surveying the effects of the plague. And the plague stops at the threshing floor of around of the Jebusite. And he says, now this is the site for the temple. Acts eleven twenty two 22 to 24, God demonstrated his grace in Antioch so obviously. Um, here, here is Barnabas, one of the folks from Jerusalem, who hear, they hear about what's going on up in Antioch, and they're kind of worried about it because there are a lot of Gentiles there. They've already had the event with Peter going up to Samaria. And you'd think if, if Samaritans were, would be acceptable, Gentiles surely would, but apparently not from their point of view. And Barnabas is sent up there. He's the right man. He's the son of consolation, yes, son of encouragement. Um, Barnabas went up, and he recognized the grace of God. How did he recognize it? 
because Gentiles were walking by faith just like the apostles did. They saw the same faith in the disciples. Uh, so he reported to the Jerusalem church that God had opened the door of salvation even to the Gentiles. Acts 15, 8 to 11. The Gentile inclusion in grace was still such a problem that the Jerusalem church convened a meeting to examine the work that was being done in Antioch. This is four chapters after chapter 11, yes? And we've had the, uh, we've had the first missionary journey, yes? Uh, already. And they're still trying to figure this out? You see, folks, you don't give up your, your prejudices easily. That's why it has to be by grace. Yeah? Yes? Yeah? Are you with me? Um, and finally, Peter got up and he said, uh, this is clearly a work of God. We must not withstand it. Acts 18, 27, even faith itself is a work of God's grace. <laughs> Let's look at Acts 18, 27. Here. Folks, faith is not something you crank up. I can remember that when I was growing up in church, the pastor would say, the reason you need to come to church on Sunday is you get your, your spiritual tank full on Sunday and then you use it up over the week and you've got to get it back filled up again on the next Sunday. Well, that's as big a bunch of nonsense as I can imagine. <laughs> Folks, if this isn't a work of God, then nothing a pastor can do is going gonna, is gonna to pump up your gas tank. Acts, uh, where are we, 1827. That's what some of us had for 30 years. I know it. That's, that's how I grew up. It's why I, I got so messed up in those years. Uh, Acts 1827. When, we, when we, uh, he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he, received, he, re, he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. What does it mean by grace they had believed? It was, it was the gracious work of God in their lives. And then Philippians 129, uh, it's, it's not on the screen here. Uh, turn to Philippians 129. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, who would grant to you to believe in Christ for Christ's sake? Who would do that? Matt Shackelford? God can't, Matt can't do that. The only person who can do that is God. Then, folks... Um, Verse 28 says that. Your, your faith is God's gift to you. Even when we had Even when we were without, uh, without hope, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen. So, um, Acts 20, 22 to 24, the message of grace is so important that even the loss of one's life is worthwhile. I've got to see this one. Acts 20, uh, 22 to 24. 
This one's too good to, to miss up, uh, to miss. Um, it's on the screen here, Acts 20, 22 to 24. Uh, it, oh, you can't see the red, the television screen, the, the projection there. Verse 22, I'm sorry, sister. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem. This Paul on his last trip back to Jerusalem. Uh, now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every play, every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are awaiting me. And people have been urging him not to go. And at one point he said, why are you breaking my heart? But I consider myself, my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of God's grace. The gift of God's grace and the message of grace is so valuable that it's even worth expending your life for it. Um, Acts 20, 32, same chapter. And now I entrust you uh, to, uh, uh, to God and to the message of his grace. This message is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are, who are sanctified. Folks, do you know that, do you notice on the screen here that these folks are already sanctified? So they must be perfectly righteous. No. They're sanctified. It's relational, just like righteousness is relational. Um, so the message of grace is able to build you up. The, the, the preaching instruction I have, have mostly received says you preach a passage and then you, find, you figure out what to tell the people to do at the end. And as I mentioned to you last week, I think, a man at another church exhorted me, you just need to be a little more practical. You're a good teacher, but you won't be a great one. I just want to make a tweak in your teaching. And I don't care whether I'm big or bad or good or wonderful, but the point was he wanted me to be more practical. Give me something to do at the end. Well, I'm giving you something to do. Get, get thirsty for the gospel of grace because that's what's able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We've got to feed on grace, folks, not on more rules. Well, why then does Paul have those commandments in his epistles? And the answer is, um, the result of grace is obedience. Are you with me here? But what is the source of that obedience ultimately? Yeah, in me, it's the love of God. But where do I get the love of God? From the Holy Spirit, yes? So that, so that the, the uh, imperatives in Paul's epistles are telling us what the Holy Spirit's probably going to be doing in our lives so that we can work with him instead of working against him. Does that make sense? And once in a while, <laughs> far, too far more frequently than we'd like, in churches we get people who have been um, significant in the life of the church who get crossways 
Yes? And they start causing division and problems. Yes? And we've got to call them back to the gospel of grace. Am I making sense to you here? Um, Acts 6, 8. Grace enables the service of its recipients. Um, and, and, and in light of this, consider the, the prayers at the beginning of every one of Paul's epistles. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, um, to the church which is in... Um, what comes next? I thank God. Yeah, but also... Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he pray for grace for people who are already born again? Because grace enables all of our ministry, all of our life. And so God, Paul prays for grace for his, for his people. Whom, whom, to whom he ministered, he prays that they get more grace and more grace and more grace. First um, Corinthians thirteen ten, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of them. Where did all that hard work come from? Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Um, what, what do I ever do for God? Nothing. It's all what he does for me. Second uh, Corinthians 1.15 And with this confidence I intended to come to you first so that you would get a second grace in Greek. <laughs> the Bible I was copying this out of uh, had opportunity, second grace to see, uh, to see us. <laughs> Who does Paul think he is? Well, he thinks he's an apostle. Yes? God pretty much told him that, and that's pretty good credentials. Yes? <laughs> it's better than my, my, uh, my driver's license. <laughs> so if, if a God-endowed apostle comes, he's going to bring grace with him. Yes? But that's true of every other ministry that's in the church. Every other ministry is the work of God's grace for us. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. Now we make known to you, brothers and sisters, oh, this is <clears throat> the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia that during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy <clears throat> and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. Um, how much should you give? What you can joyfully give. You ought to pray. Your family ought to get together and pray and say, Father, what do you want us to give our resources to? And then give until you're satisfied with it. And when you're satisfied with it, God's satisfied with it. You, if you're like me, you get requests from every 
charity and every ministry in I, I, I can't support them all but a few I do support and because of that um, I, I've I give what I feel that I can give with joy are you with me here uh, so as, as Paul will say later not grudgingly because God loves a cheerful giver. But he takes money from the grumpy also. He takes money from the grumpy also. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but, but the grace of giving is, is part of this whole thing. And he continues, verses 3 to 5, For I testify they gave according to their means and beyond their means. They did so voluntarily, begging us with great earnestness. What does that mean? Why do they have to beg him? Well, he can see their poverty. He can see their poverty, and he's not even going to ask them for money. Yes? But they begged him with, with great earnestness for the blessing and fellowship of the saints. And they did, not, uh, they did this not just as we had hoped, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. 2 Corinthians and and Thessalonica, <laughs> there it goes again. Thessalonica is the chief city of Macedonia. And Paul in First Thessalonians thanks them for the gift because you alone of all the churches have ministered to me once and twice. You alone of all the churches. Are you with me here? That's the poorest church. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace overflow. And, and by the way, this is still in that same passage, the, the uh, giving passage in 2 Corinthians, the longest New Testament passage on giving. Um, need to study 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and, and get seriously engaged with that and what does it mean. But this is still part of that uh, message. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will overflow to every good work. <clears throat> um, I have a friend who's moving to Hernando pretty soon. He's been living in Florida for the last several years, but he's moving to be nearer family. He's, he's uh, uh, very disabled and needs uh, family help and so on. So he has a in fact, the Burnsides, some of you know the Burnsides? Yeah, he's, he, they're cousins in his family. Uh, but uh, uh, he said to me one day, he said, Jim, you're the best investment I've ever made. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? There was a time when I was in the doctoral program and things were really tough financially. Oh, golly, it was tough. And I didn't know whether I was going to be able to go the next semester and he told me, if, if, don't you ever lie, lie, lay out of school because you don't have money. You give me a call. Well, that semester, there was just no way. There was no place that I could see money could come from. We didn't have it. We had three kids, and <laughs> I was working as a painter, and you, just, you know, just didn't have the money. And I, I called him, and I said, Bob, is, does that 
offer still stand? He said, yeah, it does. I said, well, I'm in trouble and I don't have the funds. And he said, well, how much do you need? And he, he told me much later, uh, we went to India uh, seven or eight, nine times together. And one, uh, one of the trips to India, he said, I went downtown and, and put a second mortgage on my house. To, to get, he said, I, he, he, was a, he was an entrepreneur. <laughs> uh, he was an amazing businessman. He said, by the end of January, the Lord had replaced all the money, and I paid off the loan. Wow. Um, and he was a man who has a gift of giving. Am I making any sense to you? I have the gift of receiving. So if you want to, <laughs> Second Corinthians nine eight. Uh, I have the gift of refusing. That's right. What did wife say? Well, she has the same heart. She has the same heart. One Christmas we were in Oklahoma City. They lived there in those days, and uh, we had not been able to buy presents for our children at Christmas. And he called me up and he said, I want you to come over by the house before you go back to Dallas. So uh, we went over. And I don't know whether I can get through this, but he took the three kids back to the back of his house, back to the back bedroom, and, a, and op opened a closet. He, what he would do is he would go to, to, to um, sales, where, uh, warehouse sales, and he'd just buy a lot and then take it home and, and sort through it and find, typically he said I'd find one thing that would, that would recoup my costs and everything else was just profit. But one of the things he did was he bought toys. And so he took them back and he gave them presents. When we couldn't. Is, is that the grace of God? Amen. Um, that's what it looks like, folks. And, and that's when it's so exciting. Oh, gee. Yeah. Romans 3.24. We are justified by grace. God declares that we have right relationship with him. That, 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 I must have dictated this into the computer because it says the, the relationship is faith. It's faith. <laughs> uh, this is all by grace. It's all by grace. We have earned nothing from God, and we never bring God a profit. Because he's already sp expended an infinite penalty, a payment for us, then I can never give him profit. I am an unprofitable servant. We give him no profit by our actions. Uh, uh, Romans 4.4. 4. Romans 4.4 4 and 5. Grace incurs no debt in the recipient. I, I, Jesus paid it all. And in one sense, I owe him everything. And in another sense, I owe him nothing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe is true but not in every sense in which those words could be understood. Okay? I owe him my very life, but I can never repay him. Nor is it a payment for services rendered. So when you receive grace from God, it's not because you've been good. Grace is not for the good. 
It's for the undeserving. Amen. Romans 4, 15 and 16, grace changes the nature of our sin from transgression to immaturity. Now, I'm going to have to defend that. Turn to Romans 4, 15. That's, that's an, a rather audacious statement, so let's look at it. Uh, Romans 4, 15 and 16. So the, 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 the law works wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. What is transgression? What does that word mean? Do you know? Go against God's law. Yes. The word comes from a Latin word that means to cross a line, or cross a river, cross, go across. Okay? So... Um, the law is, as it were, the line in the sand. And when you break the law, you have crossed the line. Does that make sense to you? Yes. But where there is no law, there's no law, line in the sand. There was a story told, I think James Dobson told this story from, on a friend of his. He was working at home one night, or one day, and his kids were out in the backyard playing, but there was no back fence and there was an alley and a construction area on the other side of, on the, other side of the alley. <laughs> and he told the kids, yeah, you can play in the backyard, just don't go over into the construction area. And he was working, and he looked outside, and sure enough, they were over in the construction area. So he went out and said, kids, come back in the yard, don't play in the construction area. So we went in and was working some more in the, in the construction, in, in the house. Looked out, they were back <laughs> in, the, in the construction area. And he, he said... He said uh, he called out and chewed the kids out, and he took his heel. You remember doing this when you were a kid? He made a, you took your heel and you made a line across, right? Well, he made a line across. He said, don't cross this line. <laughs> and he said, the guy went back in the house and was working, and he looked out the window, and every one of the kids was towed up to that line as close as they could get without crossing it and leaning over as far as they could. <laughs> but that's, that's the... That's the wicked heart of man who uses the law to transgress God's commandments. So this is Romans 6 and 7. All right? Are you with me? Yeah. All right? Um, so under grace, we have no law. There are no lines in the sand. So, so nothing that I can do is transgression. So what is it? Um, look at uh, uh, verse 16. For this reason it is by faith, so that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be confirmed to all the seed, not to those who are of the law only, but to those who are the, of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Ultimately, our sin now has the condition, has the character of uh, immaturity. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> Um, Corinth is such a problematic church, and I'm awfully glad they were because we got a whole lot of instruction about a lot of things we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is writing to them at a time when uh, it's been a substantial period since he left. And I know that because of this passage. And I, brothers, could not speak to you 
uh, as to spiritual, but as to flesh. What do you have, fleshly? Only as fleshly. Only as fleshly. Carnal. Carnal is not the right word here. Carnal has too many connotations that are not that that are not in this passage. Uh, Mature. I could not talk to you spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belong to this world. Okay. Yeah, and even that is is a little too interpretive. Let me let me get to the point here. I couldn't te- speak to you as to spiritual, but as to babies in Christ. Yeah, the word the word in Greek, as the word infant comes from Latin, they have the same um, sense. That etymologically, this is a person who is so young that he can't speak, hasn't learned to talk yet. Um, so he couldn't, so he contrasts spiritual people with babies. What is this fleshly condition then? Well, it's something in between, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you grant that? Would you grant that? Uh, if the opposite of spiritual is a baby, what is, what's another word, a synonym for Spiritual. Mature. And that's the point. Spiritual people are mature people. Babies are born again. Yes, they're still children of God. There's nothing wrong with being a baby when you're a baby. Yes? What's wrong is if you're still being a baby five and six and seven and eight and nine, ten, thirty years later. I, I heard a guy say one time, wouldn't it be interesting if we dressed everybody up in church according to their spiritual maturity instead of their <laughs> physical age. <laughs> and so you'd have some 25-year-old kid running around with a long white beard, and, and you'd have an 80-year-old man <laughs> still in diapers. <laughs> you know, just, but uh, well, thank God that we don't do that. But, but the, the point that Paul, Paul is making here is that Spirituality is not something you move in and out of any more than maturity is something you move in and out of. Yes? I was raised, as some of you were raised, with the idea that uh, when, you're, when you're born again, you're spiritual. And then first time you sin, you become carnal. And you have to confess all known sin, ask for forgiveness, ask for the filling of the Spirit. Then you're spiritual again until you sin. And then you're carnal again. You couldn't, and it was. It, it, how many of you had have that background? Some of you do. Um, this 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 was part of my problem, trying to sort through all of these kinds of ideas. I had all these definitions in my mind that weren't fitting with the text as I was seeing, and I couldn't understand how to live the spiritual life. Um, the The point that I'm making here is that um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is these people are still babies when they should have grown to maturity. That's pathological. And something has to be done. And what God thought needed to be done for that church was writing the book of 1 Corinthians. Does that make sense to you? Sometime when you read 1 Corinthians, go on and read 2 Corinthians immediately. Because you will see in chapter 2 that the people responded very, very well. 
They, they still had some way to go, but they had responded very, very well. So it's awfully encouraging to me to read 2 Corinthians after having been in 1 Corinthians. Um, but Romans 4:15 and 16, uh, grace changes the nature of our sin from transgression to immaturity. Immaturity is acceptable when you're immature. But there is immaturity that you must grow beyond. And Paul thought the, the ministry of Paul probably began... The problem is he had ministry that he did before he went to Antioch, and we don't have any record of it. I, I, I wish we knew more about that. I'd, I'd love to know more about it. But then I'd like to know about the, uh, the other apostles, too. I'd like to know more about their ministry. I suspect part of what we'll be doing when we get home to be with the Lord is, is Peter, tell me more of your life. James, John, uh, Nathaniel, tell me about your life. What did you do? What, what did God do with you in, uh, in those times? And he'll be as anxious to hear what he did with you as you are from him because it's all the glorious grace of God. Um, but um, I, I can't grow unless I'm exercising. And, and so this is part of what, where obedience comes in. It's the exercising of our faith. When I trust God in the midst of circumstances that don't make sense, but I'm convinced that God has brought these circumstances, that I must go through those circumstances and let him work his work, which is always slower than my, my calendar, um, very much slower than my calendar. That's, that's what makes it so hard. And God puts off revealing what he's doing so long that at some point we decide, well, it's just always going to be like this. And then he, then he breaks it out, and we see how glorious it was, and why couldn't I have just trusted him in the midst of all that? Because now I can see what he was doing. Does this make any sense to you? Um, so we've looked at that. Romans 5, 20 and 21. <laughs> uh, these two verses, oy vey, is it 7.15 already or 7.30? Well, okay. Um, I got more to say, but no more time to say it. Uh, let me just say this. In Romans uh, 5, 20 and 21, I said this to you when we were studying Romans. Um, if you're teaching the book of Romans and you get to verses 20 and 21 of chapter 5, they will hear verse 20, but they will never hear verse 20, 21. Because it sounds like what Romans 5, 20, 20, and 21 are saying is, let's sin more that we can get more grace. That's why you have chapter 6 and 7 following, following chapter 5. Amen? The prophet of my doctoral work. Uh, the, the, the point is, though, that, folks... You must never feel, you must not allow yourself, you must learn to trust the word of God. You must never feel that your sin is too great to, for God to forgive. You must never feel that your sin is too great that you will not be useful. You must never believe that because you have the champion, Jesus Christ, at the right hand of God, 
interceding on your behalf. And he is pleading the cross. You must plead the cross too. He is pleading forgiveness. You must trust his forgiveness. He is pleading his enablement. You must trust his enablement. Am I making any sense? All right. um, folks, the grace, uh, the, the founder of Dallas Seminary, whole a whole lot more here. You can meditate on these later. But uh, um, let's see. <laughs> grace is because of depravity. The Bible teaches this concept, Ryrie says, of total depravity in many places. The Lord recognized good people, yet he labeled his own disciples as even evil men. The mind is affected, the conscience is unclean, the heart is deceitful, and by nature mankind is subject to wrath. God sent the flood as a judgment on mankind's depravity. Depravity, according to the Lord, is, the, is in the inner being and is the root of all evil actions. With a string of Old Testament quotations, Paul shows it is deep-seated, universal, and total. Well, if we're as bad as all that, then God help us. And that's the point. Um, is it possible to fall from grace? What would it take to fall from grace? God to be a liar. No. Disbelief. What, do, what do we say that would cause us to fall from grace? Sin. Yes. Well, if sin is why God saved us and why we got grace... How can sin cause us to lose God's grace? You cannot outsin the grace of God. Uh, you, you, you can fall from grace, but it is by trying to go back to law. Yeah. So Galatians 5, 1 to 7, you have this there. Uh, much more that we could say here. Is that the same thing as losing your faith? No. Not, not normally uh, for folks. There, there are groups that say losing your faith. But folks, if grace is the gift of God, and if it's God-enabled, is God going to quit enabling your faith? No. Who, who am I to think I have to maintain it? Abs absolutely. Grace is not withheld because of demerit. It's given because you are demeritorious. Grace cannot be lessened because of demerit. But you don't know how bad I am, God. He knows better than you do. Grace cannot incur a debt. God, I'm doing this because you gave me grace. Grace is not exercised in just payment of a debt. You haven't served God so well that he gives you grace. Grace is never the overpayment of a debt. I heard an illustration of grace one time. This is our, this is our righteousness, and, and the gaps are the gaps in my righteousness, my sin, and the grace of God comes in and fills in the gaps. That's, a, that's nonsense. It's heresy. I have no righteousness. It's never the overpayment of a debt. Grace does not appear in the immediate divine dealings with the sins of the unsaved. God deals altogether in justice with them. And grace does not appear in the immediate divine dealings with the sins of the saved. He brings discipline into our lives. 
But what son is there whom the father doesn't discipline? Yes? But if we're disciplined, we're be we belong. So the, the issue for us is, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. God, grace means enablement for service, justification, reward. Your reward is by grace. Romans 4.4. Fulfillment of the promises of eight to Abraham's seed. Gift of righteousness. Breaks the rule of sin over, over its recipients. Preservation of a remnant of, in Israel in Romans 11. It makes silk purses out of sow's ears in 1 Corinthians 15.10. Motivates generous giving among God's people. Brings us God's riches through Christ's voluntary self-impoverishment. Enables patient endurance and strengthening in suffering. It brings righteousness. It's redemption. Forgiveness of sins. It brings life shared with Christ and each other. The future revelation of God's wealth in us. The glorification of God's name in us. Produces comfort and good hope. But only if you trust the grace of God. When do you need comfort and good hope? When do you need comfort and good hope? When there is no comfort and there is no hope. But that's when you trust God. It makes us recipients of God's plan, makes us heirs of the hope of eternal life. Help that comes exactly when it's needed, but not before. Makes faith possible, is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. And more. Okay, so this is the grace of God. Next week, we'll turn to look at the names of God. And here are a batch of them. <laughs> uh, so we'll start looking at some of them. We won't obviously go through all of them in two weeks, but we'll start talking about the names of God. But the name of God most often is a reference to his attributes, his character, his reputation. So, folks, we've been talking about the name of the Lord all, all this fall season. So let's, let's close with prayer. Father, your grace is too much for us sometimes to hope for. We have no experience anywhere of such acceptance. We, we are not prepared for it. So you have given us your spirit who will move us to receive your grace. Teach us that the only thing we have to rely on is you, and having you, we have all the resources we need. Teach us to trust your promises. Teach us to know them so that we may trust them. And teach us to know that we can't earn the fulfillment of your promises. Jesus has already done that. We can add nothing to what Jesus did. So, Father, teach us not to be more righteous than Jesus, Teach us, teach us to know who we are in ourselves.
wretched, defiled, lost, and undone, but now made heirs of an eternal hope because of the work of Christ. And teach us to live not in our past, but in our future. And as one, of, one man said many years ago, through your grace, we are pastless and future full. Teach us to live future full in this, in this world. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen. You have been listening to Attributes of God with Dr. Jim Allman. If you're new to Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com. You can get more information about our ministries and our classes. We hope to see you back.